0: I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong takes start now. Hello, everybody. How is it going? It is Tuesday, September 17th, 2019. Sorry, I forgot to do the date last week. Um, got a couple of announcements. Uh, first, I want to apologize for that last episode took up so much space. Uh, I've been trying. Uh, with the launch of my new Berkeley podcast, uh, I've been trying out new things uh, with how I'm uploading podcasts and, and such. And uh, I think the Berkeley podcast is still going to take up a decent chunk of space just because of the way I'm producing it. But I think this one I'm going to slim back down to the way it used to be. Um, speaking of slimming down, I'm going to be slimming down my operation a little bit because you know being in college now and managing two podcasts is a little Little work, so um, I'm not going to be putting the audio on Wix anymore, um, and also no more Patreon updates for now, uh, unless of course we get patrons, um, which is kind of unlikely, but you know uh, I'm going to be not doing those things for now, just kind of uploading uh, and and just talking uh, and not really doing too much uh, extracurriculars uh, but that's uh, the announcements for now uh, week. We're getting into the real football grind, and I'm appreciating it. Uh, that's why I'm here. It's basically just talking football uh, for the next, what, 16 weeks. So let's uh, start off with college football week three. Now, this weekend, surprisingly, uh, or we could have seen it coming, but didn't have very many ranked matchups. This wasn't a marquee weekend. That doesn't mean it wasn't interesting. There was a lot of movement in the bottom of the top 25. But overall, there wasn't too much shake-up or too many uh, matchups previously advertised as marquee. But let's take a look uh, at some of the notable scores from week three. Uh, Penn State number 13 Penn State squeaked out a win against Pittsburgh, 17 to 10. Temple beat number 21 Maryland 20 to 17. sorry Van Pelt. Uh, number 17 UCF destroyed Stanford in a game that uh, wasn't very close. 45 to 27. BYU beat USC 30 to 27 in overtime Arizona State beat number 18 Michigan State 10 to 7. Uh, number 19 Iowa squeaked out a win against in-state rival Iowa State, 18 to 17, and also in probably the game of the week, uh, number nine Florida beat Kentucky, 29-21, in a back-and-forth nail biter. So there was a, that there was action this week, but among the top teams, uh, there wasn't really much to be had. I mean, number three Georgia won by 55, number six Ohio State won by 41. Number two, Alabama won by 24. Number one, Clemson won by 35 against Syracuse, who typically puts up a good fight in these games. Uh, number five, Oklahoma, led by Jalen Hurts now, beat UCLA by 34. So, I mean, there wasn't too much action at the top, which made for kind of a not not too drama-filled weekend. But that doesn't mean there aren't some interesting things that happen. Uh, and the thing I'm going to focus on, my Bears are ranked! Cal is now number 23 in the country. I probably just jinxed it. They're probably gonna lose this weekend now, but screw it. I don't care. For the first time in a long time, we're ranked, baby, uh, and I'm I'm really excited uh, that we get, now get to go to Oxford and play Ole Miss. Uh, it's gonna be an interesting matchup. The uh, Rebels here uh, in the SEC and kind of the bottom of the SEC. After the powerhouses of Alabamas and the Auburns and the LSUs and the Floridas and the Georgias, God, that's such a stat conference. Um, Ole Miss is just kind of kind of chilling there. They in their first three games lost to Memphis fifteen to ten and have come back since with two wins against in-state or in-conference rivals Arkansas by fourteen and against Southern Southeastern Louisiana. Um, But this is their first ranked matchup of the year, following which is a matchup with number two, Alabama. Uh, So I'm sure they're looking ahead to that a little bit as well. Cal, meanwhile, won last week in a too-close-for-comfort game against North Texas. In their first three games, they beat UC Davis 27-13, upset then number 14, Washington, 20-19, and have beat North Texas 23-17. So once again, this Cal team uh, in this game was di- it was different. They started out strong uh, and, and struggled uh, toward the end of the game. And this is a situation where you can see what happens when this Cal offense gets bottled up a little bit. Only 47 rush yards from Chris Brown and 28 yards from Marcel Darcy, Dancy. Now Chase Garbers uh did show his running prowess with 18 carries for 70 yards a lot of those scrambles. And it, it this this game demonstrates that when this Cal team is on trouble or sorry in trouble on offense the defense is what can help them win games. I mean they held North Texas to just 17 points which in college is not very many held their record-setting quarterback, Mason Fine, to only 210 yards passing. And so we continue to see this defense show up for this team, and against a team like Ole Miss, that's going to be pretty important. Going into SEC country, uh, in in the heart of Mississippi, defense is going to have to carry the day. And I think we will see that in this game. I'm hoping Cal... Is able to come out with the victory. And they've got a good shot at at this Pac-12 thing right now as it stands. You take a look at the standings, the teams in their division are tough. You've got Washington State, Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, and Stanford. Now, Oregon with Justin Herbert can provide a huge fight. They already have one loss, but that was against a really, really quality team. And, of course, Wazoo. Uh, led by Mike Leach, is 3-0 already. And Cal will face them uh, here in Berkeley. And, of course, Stanford's still left to go. Even though they're off to a rough start, that's still a good football team led by an experienced quarterback and an experienced coach. And that game is at Stanford. So it's going to be a tough matchup there uh, down in the South Peninsula. I'm excited for week four of college football because, like I said before, it's the first weekend we start to really, the conference play really starts to ramp up. And boy, do we have some doozies coming up this weekend on Saturday. If you're looking to map out your whole college football day on Saturday, here you go. At 9 a.m., big noon, Michigan and Wisconsin. A Big Ten matchup, a historic Big Ten matchup, 11 versus 13. Then, your 12:30 game. Auburn and Texas A and M. Texas A and M struggled against the Clemson team, but is still ranked number seventeen in the country. While three 0 O Auburn um, is making a look a run, make looking uh, to make a run at this uh, at this uh, playoff. Then at your you know three p.m. later slate, you've got a couple games you can look at if you're a Pac-12 person. Oregon Stanford. Uh, we get to see if Stanford can rebound from their loss against UCF. Also Oregon uh, with a a. Another big test uh, for that team to see if they can really make a run at this. And finally, cap off your night at the 5 p.m. game. Number three, Georgia, and number seven, Notre Dame. I get excited just thinking about this because Notre Dame, as an independent team, uh, kind of gets, gets uh, one or two of these really big matchups a year, right? And we remember the uh, UGA-Notre Dame game that ended up 20-19 uh, in favor of Georgia, Uh, when they went into South Bend and and won. So that's going to be an exciting matchup, uh, and I'm looking forward to one of those teams having one loss, and that's going to be interesting uh, at the end of that day. So big weekend of college football coming up, uh, and I will definitely be watching and here next week to tell you what's up. Meanwhile, the NFL is now in week two. We're starting to get a feel for uh, what some of these teams are going to look like. Obviously, it's still very early, um, but we are starting to get a look. Uh, the big game, from my point of view, as a Niners fan, Bengals, uh, the Niners beat the Bengals 41-10. to Now, you can't look too much into this. The Niners have beaten up on two bad teams, and they still barely squeaked out a win in Tampa. But, that being said... The old saying is, you just got to beat whoever they put in front of you. And that's exactly what the Niners have done. The offense in this game looked as good as it's been in half a decade. Over 500 total yards of offense. With, more impressive, even more impressively, 259 yards on the ground. Matt Breida, 12 carries, 121 yards. Raheem Mostert. 13 carries, 83 yards. Jeff Wilson Jr., third on the depth chart, 10 carries, 34 yards, and two touchdowns. I mean, this three-back set uh, has a chance to do some real damage. And in particular, Matt Breida looked as good as ever. Uh, He made one cut in the game that just made me go, wow. Uh, He is fully healthy, and he is explosive. um, And this run game has the potential to do some real damage. Meanwhile, Jimmy Garoppolo was good in this game. Uh, 297 yards passing, 131.2 passer rating. I said in in previous uh, ep- in the previous episode, like all Garoppolo needs to do is not make mistakes. And in this game, not only did he make mistakes, but he was really opportunistic when he needed to be. Making deep passes when he needed to, hitting guys right on the money when they were open, um, just taking advantage of every opportunity, got this team rolling. Um, and that's. That's all he needs to do. The defense also got pressure. That line looks really good. Bosa, Buckner, uh, etc. And not giving up the deep ball uh, is important. And also getting on off the field. Not giving up uh, too many third down conversions is important. The defense only gave up 14 first downs all game. Giving the offense... Uh, the ball back and staying off the field for a defense is very important because it allows you to not get tired and keep up. Because 60 minutes, that's a long time for for a game, right? Getting off the field keeps that intensity up all game, Uh, and that's what this defense was able to do against Cincinnati. Now, the Niners have their sort of first test of the year against Pittsburgh, although um, the Steelers are 0-2 and now with Big Ben... Out for the year, um, that changes this matchup pretty significantly. But nevertheless, this is still and Connor Hurd as well. Um, but until we really get more information about how it's gonna, how how injuries are leading up to this, you still got an explosive wide receiver. or we'll, we'll know more, but you've got an explosive wide receiver in Juju Smith-Schuster. You still got a good defense. Uh, this is and this is the first game at home for the Niners, so it's going to be a lot of excitement, uh, a lot of intrigue, and this is kind of a, a litmus test for the Niners. Do they stack up uh, to these teams before they head into a tough schedule? you got the Browns uh, coming into Levi's after a bye week, and then the Rams at L.A., the toughest matchup of the season to that point by far. So this is a, an interesting test for the Niners. They're six-and-a-half-point favorites right now. Um, and if they can win, or if they can even cover, uh, that will go a long way towards cementing that they are in this thing and here to contend. One of the afternoon games, the Chiefs beat the Raiders 28-10. to 10. And this game was notable uh, for a couple of reasons. One, Pat Mahomes uh, put up a quarter performance for the ages. 28 points in a single quarter. And I believe something, something ridiculous, like 250-plus yards passing in a single quarter. And at one point, uh, he had thrown five straight passes, all for 50-plus yards. I mean, when Mahomes gets rolling, he is unstoppable because there's no one in the league that can match the combination of his agility and being able to move and get out of tough situations, escape the pocket before it gets bad. Um, just his overall awareness of the field combined with his arm um, and his arm on the run in particular makes him unstoppable because if you put pressure on him, he'll escape. And if you put pressure, there's going to be busts in coverage or guys who are have one-on-one matchups and they're talented receivers. He can throw them open. And if you don't send a lot of pressure, he's got time to sit in the pocket, survey the field, complete his reads, wait for guys to get open. And his receivers are so good at moving around that it's, it's, it's really hard to actually stop them uh, when, when they're rolling, when Mahomes is rolling. The key to beating the Chiefs is just hoping that either uh, your offense can light them up as well or Mahomes is having a rough day. Um, and it'll be interesting to see once Mahomes does have that bad day, how much the running game is able to pick up for him. Because with Mahomes going off, there wasn't much opportunity for the run game. But only thirty-one total yards rushing, and the supposed, I think, number one back, uh, Damian Williams, nine carries for eight yards. If that uh, if that run game can't get going, uh, this be this almost becomes a one-dimensional team, and you don't want that in the modern NFL or in any NFL. Um, and so that's what, and so. If the Chiefs can get that going, they're a complete team. Also, this game is noteworthy, the second reason, because it's the last game on the dirt in Oakland. Uh, the Oakland Raiders share, at the moment, a stadium with the Oakland Athletics, which means that they have to switch it from baseball to football, but they don't pave over the dirt or put turf over the dirt, so you've got just this, like, dirt uh, kind of, like, triangle in the middle of the field. Um, but this is since with the Raiders moving to Oakland... I mean, to LA, or no, Las Vegas, excuse me, and um, the Oakland Athletics finishing up their season soon, and the Raiders aren't home again until the first week of November, Uh, that means it's probably the last game in the dirt in Oakland, it's kind of the end of an era, you know, of the baseball-football hybrid stadiums, there's no more of those in the NFL, um, because of money, and because of the growth of the league, Uh, Teams can affi- can afford to finance their own stadiums, um, and it's uh, it's a new era of big money in the NFL, and it's it's kind of a trend indicative of something we're going to be seeing for a long time. Now the Rams also beat the Saints in that afternoon, twenty-seven to nine. Uh, this is a rematch of the NFC Championship game, uh, where of course uh, the in- now infamous ending of. The pass interference on uh, Roby Coleman not being called and that game being over and the Rams going to the Super Bowl. And of course, it is only fitting that the Saints got hosed by the refs again. One week after half of their fans dressed up as refs to make fun of them, now you've got the ref- the refs uh, calling dead the Saints' only potential touchdown, a scoop and score. And it's like refing 101 to not blow that play dead. Where it might look like a fumble, it might not look like a fumble. Um, But potentially a score is happening. Because if you blow that play dead, the play's done. And if it gets overturned in replay, which it did, the ball has to be spotted at the fumble recovery location, right? Because you blew the whistle. If you let that play go, even if you call it back, it's just not a fumble. And no game activity that would have happened, there's no hypothetical game activity after that. Um, and if you let it run, of course, everything happens. So it's 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 basic refereeing to not call that play dead unless you're very, very sure. right? If you're very, very sure, do it. It saves everyone time, maybe an injury or two. But if you're not sure, don't blow the play dead. Let it happen. Let the results flow that way. Um, you don't get situations like this where actual game activity and potentially a uh, momentum-altering swing... Um, is is prevented, and the refs should have some repercussions for that. Now, the Rams' defense played well in this game, holding the Saints to nine points, but uh, Drew Brees was out for most of the game, and Teddy Bridgewater, the kind of journeyman uh, quarterback, formerly of the Vikings, had to come in. Now, the Rams in this game demonstrated that they have an offense that is on par with last year's. Uh, Cooper Cup got a lot of touches in this game. Most he's had in a while. Uh, Robert Woods had a lot of targets. Brandon Cooks had a nice touchdown around two defenders. Um, And, of course, the Rams still have Todd Gurley, who hasn't really gotten much run so far in these first couple of games, uh, but stands to in the weeks to come. Look, this Rams offense is unstoppable because of how much attention you have to give to the run game and the subsequent receiver depth. Uh, that they have. I mean, Brandon Cooks was the number one for a while, right? And now he comes over to LA. So being in the Niners division, uh, that makes it tough for the Niners to, uh, for my team to be able to escape there uh, with a division crowd. And if they have uh, a way to get in, it'll probably be through the wild card. But uh, this is an exciting season, NFL season. Um, It does suck that some of the big-name quarterbacks, like Ben Roethlisberger is out for the year. Uh, Drew Brees is out for, I think, what, six or eight weeks? Um, and also Eli Manning is no longer the starter over there in New York. It's a time of transition, uh, I think. Not necessarily between, like, you know, pocket quarterbacks and running quarterbacks or whatever. Because you got guys like, you know, Dwayne Haskins, who's uh, still a pocket passer. But this is a new, younger era of quarterback. Uh, and I think it's marked by guys like Pat Mahomes, guys like Lamar Jackson, who are a little bit, I, I know I just said not transition from passing and running, but a little more dynamic, I think. They can still throw from the pocket, don't get me wrong. Um, but the flexibility of their game, I think, is a hallmark of what some of these new quarterbacks are ushering in. Um, and we'll see how that you know pans out. Uh, over the rest of the NFL season and beyond. All right, quick take. Monday Night Football: Browns Jets, kind of a dud. A game twenty-three to three. Cleveland won in Cleveland. But I think this game illustrated for many uh, people that what, why Odell Beckham is so coveted and is so good. I mean, a lot of the focus for as long as he's been in the league, have been off the field antics. And now with him coming to Cleveland, of course, uh, it's a new era. How is he going to perform? How does he fit into their system? But we were reminded of two things on Monday night. One, his insane athletic ability. Making a one-handed catch on the sideline like that and getting both feet down before falling is... A ridiculous feat. I mean, try each individual thing, you know, at home, and then try to put them together on an NFL stage from an NFL quarterback's throw. Uh, first of all, that was a dime. But also, that's why you get OBJ, because he can make hedges like that. Two, we're reminded of his speed, his ridiculous speed. Got up to 21 miles an hour, according to next gen stats, on that 89 yard touchdown. I was playing against him in fantasy, but I'm not even mad, because boy, that was a ridiculous play. Uh, his breakaway speed, his acceleration, even once he's in full stride, uh, is what separates, you know, him, his type of wide receiver from your run of the mill receiver. And it's why he continues to be considered one of the best wide receivers, uh, in the National Football League. And I think we're all reminded of that a little bit, uh, on Monday night. So this episode was a little bit shorter. I think they're all going to be a little around this length, uh especially when college football doesn't have a super good slate of games. Um, but uh, thanks so much for listening. We're still around 22 minutes. Uh, check out the podcast, bit.ly slash uh, the the at gmail.com for questions, comments, and concerns. Uh, thank you so much for listening, as always. Um, and I will see you with big college football talk uh, next week.